My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Minister here. It's good to have you all at church today. Um, I talked to Rani and Michael a couple of weeks ago, and it was really, just really great to hear their stories of, uh, even though they're stuck, they feel sort of a bit stuck in language class, uh, even in amongst their language class, they've been able to share the gospel with people from all around the world. Uh, if you'd like to support Michael and Rani more, you can always just search CMS Michael and Rani. That's probably the easiest way to get um, in contact. But we also have these little blue pamphlets uh, in the back under that big television uh, there, and that will teach you or show you how to uh, download their prayer points. They send monthly prayer points and uh, also how to give to them financially. Um, the way that we give to our missionaries at this church is uh, we don't actually tithe your offerings um, at this church where whatever you give towards the missionaries, that's what we give towards the missionaries. And so uh, Rani and Michael are doing wonderful work and uh, we're so thankful to have them as our partners. Uh, to switch gears, does anybody know the uh, world record for the slowest Olympic marathon time? Anybody know? The slowest Olympic marathon ever was 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours and 32 minutes. That was a long one. Um, this guy, Shizo Kanakuri, uh, he came into the 1912 Stockholm Olympics as the uh, favourite to win the marathon. He'd just set a world record, uh, 232.45, which I reckon 1912, it's a pretty good time. Um, don't know what even they're wearing on their feet. Uh, he came in as the, rec uh, the uh, favourite, but the odds were stacked against him. He had this 18-day journey to Stockholm on a ship. Uh, and then on a train, uh, he would jump off the, the ship or the train every time they stopped and he'd run around it to kind of get some training in. Uh, he finally reached uh, Stockholm and the food made him ill. And then the race day was very hot. It was a scorcher. Uh, apparently 16 miles into the race, Kanakuri collapsed from heat exhaustion. He was taken care of by local farmers. Uh, he did better than others. Uh, he wasn't the only one. Half of the field had to retire because it was so hot, uh, and one Portuguese runner even died in the race. Um, now, how did it take Kanakuri 54 years to finish his marathon? Well, when he dropped out, he never actually registered with the, with the race officials, so he never kind of clocked off, um, so to speak. He was listed as missing, and uh, the, uh, the Swedes knew him as the uh, missing marathoner. And so anyway, after 50 years, the uh, Swedish authorities uh, discovered him. By the way, he went on to race in two other Olympics and did very well. But um, 50 years later, the Swedish authorities discovered that he was alive and well in Japan. And so in 1967, they invited him back to finish his race. And here he is at 75 years of age. If he'd already run 16 miles, hopefully they only let him finish the bit that he didn't do. Uh, he finished his race and he said, it was a long trip along the way. I got married, had six kids and um, 10 grandchildren. <laughs> Most people don't have kids in the middle of a marathon, do they? I worked with a lady though who, um, she, she was at school one day, she was a marathoner, she, had, she was at school one day pregnant, had the baby in the morning, then was back at school after lunch and training the next day. Unusual. As a little aside. Um, the Christian life has often been described as a marathon, not a sprint. And one of the keys to triath uh, sorry, to the marathon and to the Christian life is to keep going, um, to persevere and continue. And uh, that idea of continuing in Christ, that's what we're going to think about today as we open the Bible. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us now through His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You'd speak to us today as we read the Bible. Uh, would You teach us how to continue in Christ through every season? Strengthen us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, I've told you um, probably a few times, but last weekend I told you I was a minister, uh, sorry, I was a school teacher before I was a minister. And uh, one of the things I miss most about school teaching is that part where you get to see children change and grow over from when you first see them until they graduate. Uh, I was teaching languages, I taught French and German, and, uh, and a couple of times I got to teach students from their very first lesson in the language up until they finished year 12. And I'm thinking of particularly two girls who are in the same grade. Uh, I taught them right from year seven. Um, I missed a bit in the middle. I taught them in year 11 and 12. They took extension German. Um, they both um, got in the top 10 in the state, which was amazing. Uh, but mostly it was this seeing kids who'd not known a word of German all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, after six years of hard work, they were able to, to make arguments and write essays and, and speak and debate in very complicated and wonderful uh, well, in, in a foreign language, um, a bit like Michael and Rani are trying to do. And I think that's one of the best things about teaching. You see people change, you see how they, they change. And it's the same when you pastor a church. One of the great joys is seeing how people change from when you first meet them until whenever it is that you finished. And uh, it's not sort of seeing what I've done, but actually what God has done in your lives and amongst you as you listen to him and as you obey Jesus more and more because... Here's the thing, as Christians, we should expect to be growing. We shouldn't sort of expect to say the same as the day that we decided to follow Jesus. We actually expect to be changed and to grow and be transformed day by day and week by week and year by year as we follow Jesus throughout our lifetime. And as much as I think Sunday school faith is enough to be saved, you wouldn't want to stay there. You know, you wouldn't want to say, yeah, well, I've got a Sunday school faith and, and I'm happy with that. No, actually, Jesus wants us to grow. He, he wants us to continue in him and to come to maturity all the way until the day that he returns or he calls you home. Uh, so let's start by reading what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 about this idea of growing. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Do you remember this? Paul had planted the church about 10 years earlier and he'd left them, and so he's writing a letter to them. He says, My dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Um, this, uh, this idea, um, continue to work out your salvation, that, that's the thing that jumped out to me as I read it the first time. I underlined it when I was doing my prep work. What does it mean to work out your salvation? I put a picture of a calculator there because um, I don't think that's what it is. I, I don't think you need to uh, work out faith like a math problem, you know, that you need a calculator for. We, we understand the maths, right? Jesus dies on the cross so that if we trust in him, his forgiveness means we're forgiven and our salvation is secure and his grace is sufficient. Um, so we don't need to work out the math like with a calculator. Um, Paul isn't talking about working out our understanding of salvation. Uh, is he talking then about working out salvation by working out how much good we need to do in order to counteract the evil that we do? Do you think that's what he's saying? Um, that's not what Paul's saying, by the way, um, because every time Paul talks about salvation, he says we're saved by grace alone by God's grace to gift, uh, by faith and not by works. In fact, he says in Ephesians chapter 2 that even the faith that we have is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. So rather, this idea of working out our salvation, I think he's talking about how we live out our salvation, how it works out in a day-to-day -day way. How does it happen practically? Um, how do we work out our salvation, work on our Christian life, work it out in every moment 
and every situation. So our first big idea for today is our work, the way that we do the work. So come to verse 12, Paul starts, he says, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Um, as you have always obeyed. Uh, the work of the Christian life, it's all about obedience. Um, not obedience in order to be saved, um, but obedience because you already have been saved. Um, we're obedient as a response to God's gift, His gracious gift of forgiveness. And so we choose to obey Jesus in every area of our lives because it's what God wants for us as His holy and chosen people. And because it, if we obey Jesus, it will lead us into the best version of life that God has prepared for us. Um, and so when Paul says, continue to work out your salvation, I think he's actually saying, continue to obey Jesus. Continue to be obedient to Jesus, so that in all things you might be made into the likeness of Jesus, or conform to the image of, the God's, of God's Son, as it says in Romans chapter 8. So that's what growth looks like in the Christian life, changing to be more like Jesus, obeying God's will more and more in your life. Because Jesus too was obedient, wasn't he? You only need to look back a few verses in, our, uh, in, the, in the chapter to see that Jesus was obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus was obedient until it was finished. He was obedient and he wants us to do the same. Uh, Jesus told us to take up our cross, didn't he? And to follow him. Uh, I've never run a marathon, um, but I have run a half marathon. Um, I ran it after I had a little swim and a bike ride um, at the end of a triathlon. And I remember on this run course, 21Ks or whatever it is, I, I remember that suffering that I put myself through and just sort of waiting for it to end. But I wanted to finish the race and so I kept going. And Jesus wants us to keep going. He, he wants us to continue until the race is finished. And so that's the first big idea. Our work is to continue to obey Jesus. And so, it, you know, the take-home thought is, how are you obeying Jesus more and more as your life goes on? Are there areas where you're being disobedient? You should think about that, pray about it, and repent. Second idea is God's work. So uh, our work is to obey Jesus. That's, that's our work, to obey Jesus, but that's not how we get saved. Our salvation is not reliant on our work or our effort. Um, instead, what we read in verse 13 is that our efforts are actually the work of God inside us. So let's have a look at this verse. Um, our efforts are actually the work of God inside us as He works to make us more like Jesus. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Um, it's God who works in us. Um, I want to read you from a little bit from a commentary I read this week. It's William Barclay. He's not always great on everything. Uh, but on this particular idea, I don't think I could say it any better, and I certainly couldn't say it in as few words. So let's uh, listen to Barclay on the idea of God's work in us. It's an old Scottish preacher. Salvation, he writes, is of God. It's God that works in us the desire to be saved. The desire for the salvation of God, it's not kindled by any human emotion, but by God himself. And that, that, that is, of our own desires, none of us would choose to follow after God. None of us would, would seek Him. None of us would turn to Him. In Romans 3, it says, all of us have turned away. There's nobody who seeks God. None of us are interested in Him. And so it actually takes the work of God to kindle that in us. It's the work of God inside us. Let's come back to the next part of the commentary. So he says, the beginning of the process of salvation, it's awakened by God. 
And then the continuance of that process is dependent on God. Without his help, without God's help, there can be no progress in goodness. Without his help, no sin can be conquered and no virtue achieved. The end of the process of salvation is with God, for its end is friendship with God in in which we are his and he is ours. The work of salvation is begun, continued, and ended in God. So even as we continue to work in our salvation, it's by God's power at work in us. He has begun the work in us and we're confident that he will continue it until the day of Christ. We read that back in chapter 1, didn't we? God will act to fulfill his purposes in us and the purpose he has for us if we follow his will or as we follow his will and become obedient to it. I think it is possible to disobey God's will. I think it is possible for us to, to keep resisting him. But if we do it the right way, it's kind of like a dance where God leads and we follow Um, Another commentator writing on this verse says, this means that we're to be responsible for our Christian growth uh, throughout our life. As we go through life, we're to take responsibility for our Christian growth, Um, to take the opportunity to come to church. It's so good that you're here today. You're doing that, aren't you? But make sure that that's not all there is. Reading the Bible, being part of a a discussion group or a small group, maybe reading Christian books, or if you you need to know more, maybe taking a course like Christianity Explored or, or something else that helps you dig into an area. And then, of course, to pray and to repent and to, to do everything you can to be obedient to Christ. We're going to grow as Christians as we do that. I'm not sure what the next step is for you, but, but hopefully you know what it is as you continue to work out your salvation. Um, because my hope and prayer for you and for me is that we, we grow as a church. Not, not, not numerically, I'd be happy with that, but that each individual here grows as a disciple of Christ if you need to talk about what your next step is come and make an appointment with me let's get coffee and let's talk about it or uh, talk to somebody who's trusted and work on it because we want to keep working until it's finished until our life comes to a completion and maturity is not something that stops at a certain point we should expect to grow until really until the Lord comes back for us so don't give up until your race is run because God is at work at you Uh, in you sorry he's bringing you from glory to glory and and the good news is unlike us in a marathon God never runs out of energy he won't run out of uh, patience with you he never slumbers he never sleeps his work is effective and he will continue what he's begun in us and he'll bring it to a good ending that was in chapter one he will fulfill his good purposes in you and that brings us to the outcome and the third big idea he says Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Uh, Verse 14 felt like a bit of an unusual detour in the text to me. Um, He's just said that God is at work in us and that God will fulfill his purposes for us. And then he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Um, The word arguing here, it it could be translated as question, pardon me, questioning. See, Paul's talking about grumbling against God and perhaps questioning God's motives and whether God really wants the best for us. I think that's the, the problem in the garden for Adam and Eve. You know, has God really given us the best version of life? Why, why can't I eat that thing that he says not to eat? And then uh, we read before in Numbers, uh, in the book of, uh, in Numbers, uh, God rescues his people 
from slavery and oppression in Egypt. And then they come out into the desert and then quickly they start grumbling against God. Do you remember? They question whether they would have been better off before. And as we follow Jesus, sometimes we might grumble about the cost and, and question God about whether his pathway is really the best one for our lives. We might even ask ourselves, was I better off before? Um, one of my friends uh, in that one of the triathlons that I was in, I, I remember he quit in the middle of the run leg. He'd actually almost finished. I don't know why he quit. I didn't, didn't ever understood. Um, he'd already done the hard work in the swim and on the bike. And uh, he was so close to the finish line. I think he had, he had to do one more lap out and back. And he was on that first lap. He'd already done 13 or something of the 20 kilometers. But he turned around. He decided it was too hard and he gave up. And he missed out on the celebration and the uh, sense of achievement. He missed out on the most important part, I think, because for him the cost was too much along the way. And, and Paul, he's warning us not to give up along the way. See, being obedient to Jesus, it's not easy. It means putting off the old way of life and putting on a new way as Jesus transforms us by his spirit, as God works in us to fulfill his good purposes. Um, Paul describes it like this in the book of Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He says, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken, off <coughs> you've taken off your old self with its practices and, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So as Christians, we choose to, to leave behind a life of disobedience and we choose to put on a life of obedience to Christ. In fact, in verse 10 here, it says, we already have put on that new self. Uh, we've put it on and it's being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, in the image of Jesus. And, and that's why I think it says in Philippians 2.14 that we should do everything without grumbling or complaining. In other words, don't be disappointed as God changes you. Don't, don't rage against him. Don't, don't, don't sort of say, I, I want to keep, keep with my old self. I, I think you need to put off your old self and you need to put on the new self and you need to enjoy the results. Because the results are not a bad life. It's actually a life that's completely changed. In a warped and crooked generation, we end up being called the children of God. Uh, and it's so wonderful to know that the Heavenly Father calls us His children. You'll be made His child as you continue in faith in Christ. And, and it means in this warped and crooked generation, you'll be without fault. And uh, as we look around the world, the, the, the world is a warped and crooked place. Apparently, this was written 2,000 years ago, so it's not a new thing. The world has always been crooked and warped, and that's since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. Humans have always wanted to turn their back on God and, and disobey Him. But God's project of salvation is to help many turn back to Him and to find salvation through Christ. And so, in this warped generation, this warped and crooked generation, the children of God are to stand out as different. I love Beck's kids' talk. Wasn't that great? Don't blend in, stand out. We're to stand out in the dark. And uh, you can see it there. Then we'll shine like stars among them in the, in the sky. We'll shine like stars. Back where we lived in the US, um, <coughs> sorry, uh, we lived right on the edge of the vineyards that the Napa Valley is so uh, well known for. Um, in fact, about 50 meters, I think, maybe, maybe 100 meters from our door, there was um, a 250 hectare vineyard. 
um, just there. So it was about a mile from, from side to side. And we used to walk up into that vineyard at night time. And uh, it was pretty cool. You wonder if there might be bears or um, coyotes and all kinds of things. But one of the best parts was on a clear night, the sky, uh, the sky and the stars were so bright that it was like street lights were shining that you would be walking up, we never took a torch, uh, but sometimes the, the, the sun, uh, sorry, not the sun, the stars would be so bright, you'd have like a shadow as if there was a street lamp on. And uh, God's people are meant to shine in a dark world just like that, like those stars on a clear night. We're, we're meant to be like beacons of hope and light. We're meant to stand out and shine as we hold firmly onto the word of life. Um, do you see that? Holding firmly onto the word of life. We need to hold on to Jesus. Jesus is the word of life and his message of salvation, that is the word of life and we need to hold on to it firmly because there are many voices in this world that want us to give up the word of life. They want us to give up on Jesus. They want us to give up on Bible. Uh, they want us to give up on God because they say, well, it doesn't match the values of our society anymore and they say to us, you know, you're old-fashioned, you're irrelevant. Religion is so outdated. Just move on. But you know, Jesus will never be irrelevant. He's the cure for everything that's wrong with this world. He's the cure for what makes us warped and crooked. He's the cure for sin. And Jesus' star will shine after every star is extinguished because Jesus is the word of life. He's the one who brings us life. He's the one who brings us life today when you follow him. And he's the one who will bring you into eternal life on the day that you die. So hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the word of life. Put your trust in him and put your trust in his words. Uh, meditate on Jesus' words and soak them in and make them part of your life. And then you'll find life today and into all of eternity. Uh, there's another way that this verse is translated in one of the older translations. Uh, it also talks not just about holding on to the word of life, but holding it out. And isn't that wonderful? The idea of holding out Jesus. Same thing, we hold on to him and we hold him out in a dark and crooked world. We hold out Jesus as we go forward and we live like shining stars. As we share Jesus with our friends and our neighbours and, you know, as I say, I say so often, there's 2,000, 3,000 something people in Robbo. Might be 90 or 100 here this morning. But that means there's 2,900 people in Robbo who haven't heard about Jesus today. And then when you expand that out to the, to the highlands, there's so many more. You know, the northern beaches, wherever you come from, there's so many people who don't know Jesus. And so as Christians, we're meant to hold him out. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm kind of like a one-trick pony here. Our job is not just to continue in our own faith, but also to continue sharing that faith in the Southern Highlands and wherever we find ourselves. So why don't we pray that God would do that work in us? Heavenly Father, we do trust you as the word of life, the one who brings us life today, who bring us life into eternity, into all of eternity. Help us to hold on to Jesus, to hold firmly to him, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that work in us that you've begun. And Lord, we ask that as we live and are obedient to you, many people would see the Lord Jesus as we just go about daily life, as we hold on to the word of life and as we hold it out. We pray, Lord, that Jesus would be honoured amongst us, that many more of those people in the Southern Highlands and beyond would come to faith in him. We pray in his precious name. Amen.